0: I'm gonna I'm gonna start with something a little um different today. I mean there's a lot in the news and we're gonna get to everything here, but um have you have you been following this? The uh Biden administration is banning menthol cigarettes. And I I'm looking at a story here from Fox News. Conservative group unleashes six-figure ad campaign targeting Biden's menthol cigarette ban. Group called Building America's Future is launching a six-figure ad buy uh, opposing the Biden administration's proposed menthol cigarettes ban, and they're opposing it because it will cost the states in tax revenue. But I was thinking about it a different way. I'm not a smoker, and I have no skin in the game on this question. And my my thinking about smoking is that for the people that are still smoking, those of you who are still smoking, you have been lectured, preached to, shunned, shamed, sent outside, sent outside the building, sent away from the building, sent into the parking lot, sent across the parking lot, you're like the the, the outcasts. I I don't think you need any more laws, any more lectures, I don't think you need any more public service announcements. If When you light one up, you know what you're doing, and if you still want to or need to, it's none of my business. And I, I wish you well. That's how I feel about it. But let me say something that's true and going to sound racist, but it's true. Menthol cigarette smoking is disproportionately done by black men. And do you remember a guy named Eric Garner? Do you remember remember the Eric Garner case? There was a whole spate of people that died while being arrested by police in a very short span, and it's hard to keep them all straight. You know, Michael Brown and and Eric Garner and uh, Freddie Gray, and there was the there was um, obviously George Floyd. There were a bunch of others in that same time frame, but Eric Garner was was a man in New York who um, I think in Staten Island who this was about 7 or 8 years ago was selling loose cigarettes which is against the law people buy a pack of cigarettes they break up the pack they sell the pack individually to people that don't have the money for a whole pack of cigarettes which in New York you're talking about you know over 10 bucks a pack so they call them looseies and it's a it's a black market activity or a gray market activity or it's you know and the police uh were were, were called Uh, to pick up this guy and he resisted and he fought and he said he was tired of them harassing him and one thing led to another. But, but, when we talked about it at the time, I remember saying all the people that are protesting Eric Garner's death and calling out police and racism and what have you are missing the fact that we don't need that law. That, That doesn't need to be a law that we we have way bigger look what's going on in New York City? You got way bigger problems than whether some guy is selling loose cigarettes that just is not even a thing that just shouldn't even be on the radar so if you make a if you make a menthol cigarette ban, I think one thing you do is you probably just create more under the table under the law outside the law activity and and where are all the people who call themselves civil rights activists? When something like this is announced, just because it's Biden, just because it's a Democrat, why don't you call it out? Why don't you say, hey, this is another police interaction we don't need. Cops don't want to enforce it. Society doesn't need it. It's going to lead to more and more encounters. And the more encounters you have, the more likelihood you have of those encounters going wrong. Whoever's fault it is. So I find it interesting that it would be a conservative group that's Attacking this menthol cigarette ban, it, it really should be like uh, Benjamin Crump and Jesse Jackson and um, you know BLM, and they're they're nowhere to be found because it's a Democratic president. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. They have arrested and charged a guy named Patrick Die. I guess that's how you say his name. Uh, he is the Cornell University uh, student. He's a junior who had made so many threats against Jews on campus that they closed the kosher dining hall at Cornell. And he has been charged, Patrick Dye has been charged with um, numerous charges, according to the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Northern District of New York. Um, He called for the deaths of Jewish people. He threatened to bring an assault rifle on campus. In an online discussion board, prosecutors said Die threatened to, quote, shoot up a campus building, stab or slit the throats of Jewish men, rape or throw off a cliff Jewish women. He said he would behead Jewish babies and threaten to bring an assault rifle to campus and shoot all you Jewish people. And he had his first court appearance uh, today. Thank God he has been caught, but something is changing in this whole story of campus anti-Semitism, are you sensing what I'm sensing? That in the last, like, 24 hours, all of a sudden, I'm seeing, like, like the drunk is sobering up. The drunk is coming off as drunk, and he's, he's getting sober. Uh, there's a story today, hundreds of Columbia University professors have signed a letter saying they're appalled and horrified about campus anti-Semitism. More than 200 faculty members, this is from the New York Post, more than 200 faculty members at Columbia University signing a letter saying they're appalled by the spate of anti-Semitic incidents on the campus. Days after scores of their colleagues signed a letter defending students who supported Hamas, faculty members said there should be robust debate about complex and difficult issues, but quote, there is no excuse for Hamas's barbaric attack on Israeli civilians. It's like the left has figured out that they have gone too far. And it's not that they're not anti-Semites anymore, and it's not that they're, they're not still hating Israel. Uh, believe me, they, they are and they will, but they, they're concerned about how this looks. They're figuring out that they have made asses of themselves on this issue. And I think some of them are worried about how this is going to look, you know, later on or down the road. I want to play something for you. This is unbelievable that this happened on MSNBC. Um, MSNBC host Nicole Wallace had on um, one of their other commentators, Donnie Deutsch. I think that's how you say his name. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play this for you and... You are going to not believe this was on the network of Joy Reid. This was on the network that is making excuses for people that are tearing down uh, missing person posters saying it's a form of protest. That's MSNBC. Well, it was until now. This is, uh, I want to play some of this. We won't play all of it. This is some of the discussion that, that is supposed to be spontaneous, but I think this was planned. Cut number nine. Listen to this.
1: It's not just silence, and I'm, I'm confused about this, I'm, I'm going to get to this in a second, is that Israel seems to be on trial, which I don't understand, that, that Israel, um, people are saying ceasefire, and of course none of us want violence, but there was a ceasefire on October 6th, and since that time, we know what happened on October 7th, beheading, raping, every inhumane thing that you can do ripping babies out of mother's wombs and since then it's eight always- and a half hours of sustained violence against a civilian population and, and, and by a group whose only mission is not real estate, and it's not protecting Palestinian people. They, they put their own people in harm way. They use them as shields. Uh, they've stolen billions of dollars of aid from the humanitarian aid from them. Now, hold on their just a minute, mission- hold
0: on just a minute. First of all, I don't know where Captain Obvious came from, but th- we've known this, we've been talking about this for weeks. Regular people have been talking about this for weeks. You know, I, I mean, it's like Newsflash, everybody. And I'm I'm trying to figure out why now MSNBC is joining the party, and I and, and I I have a theory that when this all started, you know their framework for everything is how can we make it about Trump, and I don't think they knew how to make Hamas's attack on Israel about Trump, the. All the, all the sympathizing and excuse making and water carrying for Hamas and for terrorism, all the overt anti-Semitism, the threats and the violence against Jews, the tearing down of the posters. I, I think they were racking their brain the last few weeks, their tiny little brain at MSNBC. How do we make this about Trump? And they can't because Trump's the most pro-Israeli president we've ever had. And it's not even close. There's not even a second place. And, and so everything he did in office was, uh, pro the peace process, pro Israel, Abraham Accords, move the embassy to Jerusalem. Clearly, none of this is his supporters' right. None of the bad behavior right now can be can be MAGA associated. So they're they're finally saying, okay, we we give up. We couldn't make it about Trump. We need to get on the right side of this. All right, let's listen to a little more of what Donny Deutsch said.
1: Their only mission is to eliminate Israel, eliminate all Jews. That's it. That's their mission. And yet, constantly, Israel seems to be on the defensive about explaining what they know. Obviously, Israel has to be very careful and it's got to do things surgically. But no other group goes through this scrutiny. I mean, Joe Scarborough, our, our dear friend, had an amazing uh, talk the other morning where he said, can you imagine if Mexico came in and Mexico oh, listen to this. had just did the same thing to us? Would people be saying restraint, restraint? And hold on, hold also, on, hold on. Imagine if Mexico,
0: I mean, now think about where we're at here. This is MSNBC. These are a couple of Democrats. Well, Nicole Wallace is nominally a Republican, but you know. Um, th- th- they're sitting there going, this would be like if Mexico came across our border and attacked us. Wow, what brought that on? Where did that come from? There had to be some kind of meeting at MSNBC. There had to be some internal polling or numbers uh, or audience reaction, or maybe even sponsor blowback—I don't know—but uh, they have been the Hamas network for the last three weeks. All of a sudden, Donnie and Nicole are like, "This is an—it's like—it's like when Claude Rains found out there was gambling going on at Rick's place. Like this—this this is an outrage! Why there's gambling going on in this establishment?" And you're listening to this, you're like, "We—we've covered all that. We know all this." But they're getting out in front of it. They're trying to get on board. Hey, we, we get it too. We're over here. We, we don't like this either. And, and when I look at this and when I look at the, the university professors and the university presidents suddenly, stoutly denouncing anti-Semitism, they've had almost a month to get right with this. It's a bunch of bull. They haven't had a change of heart they are putting out a new face. They're putting out a new, um, you know, spin. Oh, we're not, and maybe it was the, I don't know, maybe it was the Cornell story, because obviously what this dude threatened to do, right, if he had threatened to do it in any other context, Patrick Dye would be on every television screen, be the lead story night after night, we would be hearing about nothing but, maybe they're waking up a little bit or they're getting a little bit sober about the possibility that if they don't if they keep egging on the people that are ripping down the posters it will escalate don't you get the feeling the people ripping down the missing person posters are testing us i think they are i think they're they're watching and they're going you know we're we're getting away with this for the most part i mean there's a few exceptions like the one we played yesterday of the steelworker but mostly we're getting away with this and we've got like the new york times did a piece today where they said that ripping down posters is a form of protest and it's how people uh, are expressing their anguish which is just bananas obviously um the daily dot whatever the hell that is um went even further they did a they did a piece about the sign uh tearing where they said it's a trap this, so they they blamed the people putting up the missing person posters these are people that are missing after the Hamas attack of October seventh. So well the, the the posters are a trap. So when you put those up here in the States, you are entrapping uh sympathizers with Palestine who then rip them down and fall into the trap. And so the, the the sign rippers are the victims. Um but I get the feeling that maybe we're uh we're not having a moment of sanity, but maybe we're approaching or coming back to it. We're definitely having a moment where a bunch of people have realized they don't like the way they look these last few weeks, which is something, which is good. No, I don't know. I, 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 I think we need to just can we just leave the can we just leave the cigarette smokers alone? We have taken our pound of flesh, okay? And um they know they 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 know what they're doing. They may they may hate themselves for smoking. They may have tried to quit fifteen times. Um this is so nanny state big brother uh, it, it just, it reeks of the whole branch COVIDian kind of thinking. I'm just generally, I, I have to tell you, I, I'm, I'm very down on when the federal government claims to be looking out for my health. If the last few years have proven anything, it's that that's a crock. You you have got to be a very dim bulb to believe that, that, that the federal government or public health guidance is your is your best tool for staying healthy. I mean, I'm all for being healthy and eating healthy and working out, and I want you to live a long time, and I want you to be happy and, and stuff, but th- th- this is ridiculous. and And what this will lead to is the very thing that Democratic politicians claim to be against. Because if you have to enforce... Additional regs and rules about cigarettes, that means more police, more encounters with police. Anything regulating vices, as we know, and and tobacco's a vice, right? Anything regulating vices just leads to, you know, under the table, outside the law activity. Eric Garner is an example of that. Eric Garner would be alive today if New York City concentrated on its big issues, its existential issues, and didn't worry about some guy selling loose cigarettes, okay? But they worry about it because they were losing the taxes. Although I guess you could argue they already made the taxes because somebody had to buy the pack of cigarettes in the first place. Anyway, uh, 210-599-5555, do you support banning menthol cigarettes? Is today's J.R. Poll powered by... River City oral surgery. And then does it seem to you like all of a sudden uh, the anti-Semitism is getting called out by the very media voices that egged it on for three weeks that that made excuses for it or denied it was happening or were, were, they were just killing us with the on-the-other-handing? And what's interesting is it wasn't the atrocities over there that, moved the pendulum. It was the ugliness and the threats of real violence here that seemed to scare people like MSNBC, Columbia University. And I mean, I, I suppose the I suppose you could say that the tearing down of the posters is part of this culture we have now where people make everything about themselves because you're not you know in the old days a protest or a movement was about changing the outcome of events we're going to stop this war or we're going to force this person to resign his office or we're going to you know what i mean we're going to change this law and now a lot of what passes for political protest and we're told by the new york times and the daily dot that tearing off the posters off of uh, signposts is 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 just a protest. It it doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't it doesn't move the needle. It doesn't change anything, but it makes the person doing it feel like they have done something. So we have like this: we've substituted actual action for the feeling of doing something. And it seems like there's a lot of that. And I I kind of think that has a lot to do with our social media world. Uh, you you know. Basically, TikTok and, and all of these platforms are people watching themselves perform. Like, Have you noticed how many of the people that are tearing down the, the signs are videoing themselves while they do it? Now, why would you need to do that? I, I think it's so you can go home and watch it over and over again and show your friends, right? It's, it's, it's pretty weird. And it makes the protests of the 1960s look like Meaty and substantial by comparison. Anyway. All right, on KTSA. Today's JR poll powered by River City Oral Surgery. Do you support banning menthol cigarettes? The Biden administration uh, is um, uh, proposing uh, to all but ban um, menthol cigarettes. And it looks like that's a done deal. But um, there are different voices and forces coming out uh, for it and against it uh and michael is on the jack ricardi show on 550 and 1071 ktsa michael good afternoon
2: hi how you doing
0: i'm good thank you how are you
2: all right all right can you hear the radio should i turn the radio off i'm good i can hear you okay fine anyways you know you were talking about how they come down on the people with the lucy cigarettes selling the lucy cigarettes in new york you know i used to live in new york while well, i lived there like Four or five months out of the year, or whatever, and uh, and they sell everything else on the street. With you know, for no, there's a guy that would sit. I was right by Union Square there. Every day a guy would be selling water, sitting on a sitting on a cooler, mm-hmm. selling water, 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 all day. And nobody mm-hmm. nobody says anything to him. And you go to Chinatown, and whatever, all those shops and stuff, and the guy selling fake Rolexes on the street corner, and they don't say mm-hmm. nothing to him. Mm-hmm. Not to them. And you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You go in there, oh, $10, I'll give you $5. There ain't no cash mm-hmm. register. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's, that's ridiculous that they, uh, you know, some poor guy who wants to make a buck, you know what I mean? You know, selling Lucy cigarettes. So what, you know? It's because they tax them so much. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it tells you how expensive cigarettes are that a smoker would have to buy them one at a time. Uh but that's that's what drives that market and 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 it, and it wasn't a thing when cigarettes were, you know, two ninety nine a pack. I never heard of this and I never saw it, but you see it now. And, and of course it's it's the politicians that claim to care the most about the poor that do these things, and that's why I'm that's why I'm pointing it out. I mean, I think it's ridiculous. Michael, thanks for the call. Um two hundred ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. I'm not I'm not saying I want people to smoke menthol cigarettes or any cigarettes. I'm not I'm not promoting smoking. I'm just saying, look, if people are still smoking, the 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 Surgeon General report was what, nineteen sixty four, I think? It was nineteen sixty four. That was the landmark Surgeon General, we've determined and, and the reason I I happen to remember that year is that was the year my, my parents got married and they were both smokers. And one of the things the Surgeon General at the time said was if you become pregnant you need to stop smoking, which Believe it or not, at one time, people smoked through their pregnancies. So uh, the following year, my mom became pregnant with me. They both quit smoking. My mom and dad both quit. But they were taking in that, that guidance. They were of a generation where, okay, the well, Surgeon General, that's a reputable source, right? I mean, today, if you started a sentence with, well, the Surgeon General recommends, people would laugh. <laughs> oh, the Surgeon General? <laughs> Come on. Federal government, come on. 210-599-5555. Jamie Comer says that President Biden got $40,000 from the Chinese communists funneled through his son and his brother, James Biden, and their businesses. This came out uh, this morning. Remember when Biden was asked about uh, foreign money and business deals and he joked with the reporters, well, where's the money? How come you can't find the money? Uh, A memo from the House Oversight Committee staff uh, says that a $40,000 check from James Biden's personal checking account written to Joe Biden, September third, 2017, claiming to represent a loan repayment but following the money upstream reveals it originated from Chinese business partners. Hunter Biden had threatened a little over a month earlier in a WhatsApp message. Remember, we read that message at the time. That was the message where, Hunter, I'm sitting here with my father. What, what, What's the matter with you guys? Very concerned. Need to resolve this right now. I will make certain that the man sitting next to me, blah, 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 which was daddy. The memo then details how... Um, Hunter got a response from the company CEFC. Oh, yeah, we're going to cooperate with you, sir. Don't worry. Um, and the money began flowing. The $40,000 happens to be exactly 10% of what Hunter got. Um, people that you know carry water for Biden and the Democrats will continue to say there's no evidence, there's no evidence, there's no evidence. I don't know. I mean... I would look at it this way. Okay, I mean, you know I don't I don't agree with Biden, I don't support him, I didn't vote for him. I I'm honest about that. I have never seen anybody with this much smoke who didn't have a fire. You know, there was a story yesterday that the National Archives sued uh by a um watchdog group revealed that there's eighty two thousand pages of Joe Biden emails where Joe Biden is using pseudonyms, remember he used J.R.B. Ware and Robert L. Peters and Robin Ware and all these other made-up names. And um, the Southeastern Legal Foundation did a FOIA suit, and there's 82,000 pages. I don't know how many emails that is on 82,000 pages, but that's a lot of emails. This is not a; a, a these are not people that are playing it straight that there is something going on here. And it's part of the bigger problem we have, right, of all these politicians that own multiple houses and live like kings and queens on salaries that don't add up. You know, you can't extrapolate their reported income to the way they are living. How long would you get away with it if you reported X income and you had multiple houses and cars and property and you were, you know, li- living like a sultan, h- how long? You'd be worried, right? The, the average person would think sooner or later this is going to catch somebody's eye. And historically, politicians on the take were like um, an all-you-can-eat buffet for journalists looking to make a name for themselves. I mean, this was the stuff of, you know, Pulitzer Prizes and Peabody Awards and, and, you know, uh, Freedom of Speech Awards and having, uh, you know, a a journalism school named after you at your alma mater, and um, it would be irresistible you might resist a little harder if it was your party or your guy, but it would be irresistible. The Biden story, has the, the story of Joe Biden in part, is the incredible amount of tiptoeing around it and avoidance by people whose job it is to cover him. And look at look at what's happening with this Menendez guy in New Jersey, you know, the senator from New Jersey with the gold bars in his closet and the wads of cash, and he tried to say it's because I'm Cuban and we like to have a lot of cash on hand. So he profiled himself basically. I, I was thinking about this the other day. What's happening to Menendez is happening to him because he's expendable uh, to the Democrats. I mean, he's going down. It's it's over. He's dead man walking. But it's a it's a blue state. He is not a guy that figures in their plans. He's not. I mean, he's he's a senior senator. He's a chairman, but he's but he's not a guy that the Democratic Party needs or worries about losing or uh, or what have you. So the journalists covering Bob Menendez are covering Bob Menendez. And so you see what it looks like when a politician is on the take and it's pretty obvious and the evidence is piling up and there's smoke everywhere and we're going to find the fire and he's going down. And we've seen this, right? We've seen... We've seen, and you're you're familiar with how it goes and that it follows the pattern and the politician denies, 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 and then he has the tearful news conference and then he resigns to spend time with his family. The Biden story is different in a very noticeable way. Because since about 2019, when lots of people stopped doing their job, And I'm not even talking now about like the FBI and the government. I'm talking about journalists. I'm talking about the media. When it became apparent that Joe Biden was a vessel they had use for, they're just just circling around, walking, taking the long way around this story. It's right in front of us. There is no way this is all legitimate, and there is no way they they keep talking about the Biden businesses and businesses and doing business. They have no business. His being in politics is their business. His name is their business. They're not people that own corporations or have patents or manufacture things. They're not moguls. They're not... You know, say what you want about Trump, hate him all you want, but we know that he's actually a businessman. He actually has businesses. Like, nobody wonders, how did Donald Trump get so rich? We know. There's no curiosity about how Joe Biden got so rich. I mean, there's a lot of curiosity, just not with the right people. 210-599-5555 on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Bo is on the radio. Bo, good afternoon.
1: Morning, sir. So my take is if a cop was obviously living outside of his means, they would do such investigation. He's got a nice boat, a nice house. He's got mm-hmm. a hunting place, you know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he's not the big cheese, so why why, why not go after the you know little man? Because we mm-hmm. can't get in trouble if we go after the little man.
0: Yeah, they when they realized they needed Biden to, to... – Beat Trump. They weren't going to beat Trump with uh, Elizabeth Warren or uh, or Bernie Sanders. When they realized they needed Biden as their vessel, as their front, uh, they just basically turned their back on all this stuff that otherwise would have made, you know, you could have made your career reporting this stuff. You could have you could have won every award on the shelf and 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 made yourself the most famous journalist in America. They they resisted doing. It shows how it shows what true believers they are, right, Bo? That they would. Uh, they would show this kind of loyalty.
1: Yeah, it's the back scratch.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. That's what they can come down to. Yeah, well, you don't say nothing about my stuff. Uh, well, you know, when you need my help, just give me a call or email. The big yeah. guy.
0: Yeah. Know? The big guy, yeah. Uh, I remember, I don't remember who it was, but I remember there was, both thanks for the call. I remember there was a, a woman columnist. Somebody might remember the name. V- very, very prominent columnist. Um at the time that Bill Clinton was president and all the sex stuff was coming out, um, she said something, forgive my crudeness, I I don't remember the exact words, but she said something like, um, if Bill Clinton defends or protects a woman's right to choose, I'd give him one myself. You know what I'm talking about. And, oh, (laughs) that's so witty. (laughs) But, but what she was saying was i we won't do our job if we're protecting our policy position so what we agree with or believe in is what drives our reporting not being reporters not truth telling and exposing and uh, you know, making the comfortable uncomfortable. That's what you're taught in journalism school, or they used to teach it. You're supposed to afflict the, the you know, afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. No, no. She's like, no, I, hey, I'll I'll cover for him if he, if he, you know, if he's right on abortion. It's unbelievable. Somebody probably can look up and see who that was. Think about this now. Over 600 families, that's moms and dads and grandparents and kids of all ages and teenagers and, and babies, and um, our goal with it with Jack is that each member of each of these families has a gift that is wrapped up, has their name on it, and is something they need for Christmas. That's what we do, that's what we've been doing for 25 years, that's really it, that's the, that's the simple explanation of it. How we get there is what I'm asking you to help us with. If you go to KTSA.com, you can uh, click on the Wrap it with Jack logo or button, And then it shows you right there you can give money, which is great. You can uh, do some online ordering, and the stuff ships right to Family Service Association. It's kind of like an Amazon wish list. Or you can, if you like picking things out, a lot of people feel good about going maybe to a dollar store or a discount store and picking out blankets and athletic socks and underwear and toddler clothing and some toys. If you want to do that and maybe even get your kids involved with picking things out for a family and different members of a family. It shows you on there what we need and where to drop it off. All of our sponsors for Wrapping with Jack are drop-off locations. So that's every quarter moon plumbing, heating, and air conditioning truck and van, as well as their offices. It's River City Oral Surgery's offices, Institute for Functional Health. It's the Copenhagen Imports store in the Vineyard at Blanco and 1604. All the details are at KTSA.com for Wrapping with Jack. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken uh, dressed his four-year-old son up for Halloween as Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky. Because I'm sure that's exactly what the four-year-old wanted. must have been so adorable, tugging on his father's cuff. Daddy, 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 for Halloween, can I be Zelensky? Remember when you were four and you wanted to look like the president of a Soviet republic? Remember that? We all were... What great memories. I love that age. Such a fun age. Four years old when you're enthralled by dressing up like foreign leaders. Oh, good times. A suck up. <laughs> it's an easy <laughs> costume. A kid like Zelensky. Yeah, it's a, he just put him in a green yeah, just, sweater. That was, exactly. That was pretty much it. Or a black t shirt. And when people gave him candy, he said, he, I'd also like $25 billion. Um 210 599 5555 Um, I want to play something for you, get your reaction to it. Brett Weinstein uh tweeted, and if you don't know who Brett Weinstein is, he was the, the professor up there in, in Portland that got uh politically corrected out of out of his job. Uh he wrote um on Twitter, if the woke revolution ended tomorrow. It would take at least two generations to clear the damage from the essential systems of the West. These kids are learning. They aren't learning how to think, but how to get what they want with credible threats. He says, imagine you're on trial for a notorious crime of which you are innocent. And one of these kids, now all grown up, is representing you, but doesn't like your politics. Or the judge, prosecutor, and defense attorneys all agree that your adherence to some belief that nearly everyone shared at the turn of the 21st century now makes you very, very bad. And so the facts of your case are beside the point because society is better off with you safely locked away. The madness is already affecting the courts. At some point, it will dominate them. And there can be no West without impartial courts obligated to follow rules that favor no one. I'm gonna play for you a recording of the final round of the most prestigious national high school debate tournament. And there are two teams and they have been assigned the topic of the International Monetary Fund. And that's how, if you don't know, that's how debate, competitive debate works. I was on debate in high school and you you don't pick your topic nor do you pick your position like you have to argue the side of the thing you are assigned even if that is counter contrary to what you feel or believe and that that hones your skills that makes you a better persuasive speaker and so forth okay so they were given the IMF two teams and um they played this little audio clip of uh an AIDS protest from the 1980s. The, the the organizers of the competition played it. That was to set up the topic, okay? Because the IMF had a role in funding HIV/AIDS, uh, you know, research, and the kids decide they are not doing it because MAGA is genociding trans. People, take a listen to some of this. This is cut number two, Don.
3: So in light of everything, we think it's the most important thing in the round is to make sure people have a voice in the first place to get across their message. And there's no greater place to do that than TOC finals. I just want to say thank you to my parents who like, encouraged me to start debate in the first place and financing such an expensive event.
4: Is there anyone else who either has ideas or wants to ask questions? You don't have to be trans.
3: It's important to recognize that debate is not about winning an argument. It's about making sure
0: everyone feels okay. Hold on. Sure everyone feels... Hold on. Debate is absolutely about winning an argument. It's not. This is where we know we're in trouble. It's not about making sure everybody feels okay. Okay, continue.
3: And making sure everyone feels safe. So when that's hindered upon, I think that's when debate becomes essentially useless in the first place. So it was really, really eye-opening to see those passionate RFDs given by the judges to see that debate really doesn't matter about the IMF, like who cares? Like what matters is like those people who need to be safe within the round itself.
5: If you're a cis debater and you're like partners with a trans debater, part of like your role in an, like as being an ally, as being a partner of a trans debater, is not just to like, you know, pat us on the back when we're like sad or upset, it's to like take concrete steps to make a debate round safer. Like my partner constantly reading theory or like Rebecca reading this argument with JJ.
3: I remember at Strake, I believe Marcus and I had something close to some feminism, K, okay, or...
0: You know what, Don, hold on there, because we've got the wrong tape here. This is the wrong, wrong excerpt. This is not what I wanted to play. Um, they're assigned debating the IMF, and at the beginning of it, you're going to hear some archival audio of a protest. This is from the 1980s. It's an HIV funding protest in New York. They're supposed to play off of that, and they they go in a different direction. Take a listen to this.
6: Thousands of demonstrators demand that New York City do more to help those suffering from AIDS.
7: Resistance took the form of non-cooperation. Demonstrators had to be dragged to paddy wagons. Many shouting as they were carried away. Do you think you've really accomplished a great deal?
3: Yes, I think we do. What else can we do? I've done everything. I've called
1: everybody. I've got appointments with everybody. I've got to come to City Hall and state my case. We're dying. The city is dying.
4: I don't know that man's name, but I know a little of the hopelessness and the horrible sinking fear in
5: his voice. Here's how I prepped for the TOC. I woke up a week before and learned that 28 instead of 27 states wanted to kill me. The clip I played is from the 1987 act of protest in New York City. It was not the first and certainly not the last demonstration of its kind. It joins a tradition of trans and queer protest against institutions and to re- reform communities that are violent and exclusive. We are here to join this tradition in our own small way. So. Welcome to the protest we are tired of how debate treats trans people more than that we are tired of the way that their treatment is normalized how it is treated as a necessary byproduct of having de- good discourse when a nationally ranked team is bold enough to read arguments and make trans people uncomfortable in front of an 11 person panel and not be called out for it something needs to change when a trans kid can go three years in debate believing being misgendered was simply something he needed to take in order to win ballots something needs to change when almost every trans person quits debate or considers quitting several times a month several times a week several times a day something needs to change. First, the framework, status quo political discourse remains fixated on the notion of the child, symbol of a future society we must protect, Baden 12. Politicians universally frame their debaters around the question of what policies are best for children. Who who keeps the child safest? Politics, however, supposedly radical, is simply the universal movement of submission to the ideal of the future. To preserve, maintain, and upgrade the structure of the society and to proliferate them through for all the sake of the children. it's for this reason queerness finds itself missing from political discourse. Sound familiar? It should. Still having abstract policy debates in as violent and exclusionary a community as this constitutes something like reproductive futurism. So what they've
0: decided to do is attack the competition. That's what she's, she's talking so fast, it's hard to even make out what she's saying. What they're saying is, we don't want to debate this like it has two sides. We don't want to be told what side to take. We don't want to be told that there are two sides. We don't even want to have this discussion because, and then she goes off on the whole thing about trans kids are quitting uh, debate. It sounds to me like, The kids that will be quitting debate and probably are, and and let me know, by the way, if you have a son or daughter in uh, competitive high school debate. I'd be curious to know what they think. But um, it sounds to me like the kids that are probably quitting are the smart, critical thinking, wanting to compete, wanting to um, have a debate and show off their, their debate skills. This is the opposite of that. This is anti debate, anti merit, anti intellectualism. And, you know, I I assume that they knew they would get away with it, that they talked amongst themselves and decided to do this. And just so you know, that girl and her team were crowned the champions. So they were lauded by the judges for their bravery and courage and crowned the national champions. Now, if you want to know why Brett Weinstein is worried about future judges and juries, it's because these are the kinds of young men and women who will go to law school and are going to law school and are signing pro-Hamas letters in law school and who will then be your judge and your jury if you find yourself in a courtroom someday. So I I mean I I'm personally bothered by the fact that they didn't do the competition. Maybe maybe that's just me, maybe I'm just a nerd because I did debate in high school and I really liked it and it, it it was really important to me like it helped me figure out who I was and what I wanted to do with my life and it was for, for those kids that do debate if you have a son or daughter or grandchild that does it you'll know what I'm talking about it's a wonderful outlet for kids that are very smart very motivated and maybe don't really um, get many outlets to show that, because you can have debates and discussions in competitive debate that you that you often can't have with your peers because they they're not really into that or they're not keeping up with those things. And so it's it's important for these kids. It's their sport. It's their football. So first of all, it bothers me that they just blow that off. There's all these other teams, all these other students that wanted to be where they are. They got there, and they said, F this, we're not going to do it. And then the, 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 the screed that she is delivering at 400 words a minute, I mean, wh- what critical thinking, independent-minded young person would, would stay on that team? These are sheeple. And shame on the, na- whatever the organization is, I think it's called the National Speech and Debate Association, shame on them. I am, I am over these adults that are afraid of children. I am over these adults that think it's hip or cool to not educate, but to indulge, instead to indulge ignorance. Pat them on the head. Oh, aren't you brave? Look at you. Aren't you something? Boy, I guess you really showed us. If you're a teacher, if you're a coach, if you're an advisor to an after school project. You're you're the you're the one we're all counting on. <laughs> okay. You're the one we're all counting on. And you're letting us down. Big time. Um and it's not a debate. It's a beatdown, It's a scream fest. I'd like to see the judges. I can almost imagine what beta males they must be. And, uh, you know, it, when we heard the kids say, when, when you played the excerpt earlier, Don, that we were uh, we're kind of in the middle of it, when we heard the kids say it's important to recognize that debate is not about winning an argument, it's, it's about make, he said something like, it's about making everybody feel okay and safe. W- all I can think of is, like, um, critical moments in history, like the founding of this country or the Gettysburg Address or uh, Churchill addressing Congress in December 1941. Um, it, it, it is, in fact, about winning an argument. Lives depend. Civilizations depend on winning an argument, and when you are presenting truth and principle, no, not everyone will feel okay. Not everyone will feel safe. Imagine thinking that that is the highest calling. I'm just. I just want to make everybody feel safe.
3: It's important to recognize okay. that the debate is not about winning an argument it's about making sure everyone feels okay and making sure everyone feels safe so when that's hindered upon i think that's when debate becomes essentially useless
0: by the way it really is i when i compared it to football it is a competition in every way that you would if your kid played football in school or any sport tennis whatever it is just as competitive and again i can tell you the the competition was fierce it was um principled uh you know you would you would prep yourself to death uh you'd pull all-nighters you'd and we didn't have the internet so it was it was even harder to do the research than it would be now i think um and this would be the equivalent of the two football teams get on the field and announce that uh we're not going to play football we reject the rules of football we reject um points, and scoring, and um, we're here to make everybody feel safe and okay. Yeah! Woohoo. hoo that's, that's what this is. 210 599 This is the stuff that makes me worry, you know? Because you, you want to think when you're old and dried out like I am... <laughs> You want to think, you want to look for, and you do look for, like stuff that gives you hope. Like, all right, things are, things are a little bleak right now, but I think there's good stuff down the road. I, 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 I'm looking forward to the future. I think there's some bright spot. And, and I do feel that way most of the time. But then I look at something like this, or I look at what's been going on the last few weeks in these college campuses. And I know it's not all kids and it's not all college students and it, it really isn't. I get that the squeaky wheel gets the grease and the you know, these are the things that make news, the the countless young people that went to class and did the right thing don't make the news. I, I know all that. You don't have to talk me down off the ledge. I'm okay. But but I worry that we're producing a lot of people like these debate team members. Or I guess former debate team members. Now I wonder if um Since they reject the competition and the format, right? I mean, they say, we're we're not doing this. We don't believe in this. Will they put on their resumes that they are the national champions? I would expect not, right? Like, they should never, ever tell anyone. They should never tell the colleges they apply to. They should never tell a potential employer or an internship, or a fellowship, or a scholarship. They should never, ever, because they've, they've said it's corrupt and they don't believe in it. They should reject, in fact, they should reject the championship, they should reject the title. They got the crown from the debating organization, they should reject it, they shouldn't take it. What do you want to bet they did take it? What do you want to bet they called all their families and friends and told them they won? What do you want to bet it will be on their social media, on their profile, on their resumes, on their applications to their colleges? So it's not even, it's not even sincere. It's it's a joke, it's a game. I guess I hoped that maybe um, high school debate would be like a little uh, bastion or 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 oasis of. Um, kind of the old school, like it would still be where uh, intellect and critical thinking is valued. I remember how how cool I thought it was, when. and again, I, I admit, I was the biggest nerd. This sounds so geeky, it's unbelievable, but I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go with it now. You already know I'm a geek and a nerd and stuff. I, I just remember th- when they explained to us that in competitive debate, you don't get to pick Either the topic or the position on the topic, it blew me away because, like, what? Like, you might have to argue something you are completely, with every fiber of your being, in disagreement with, but that's good for you. That, That trains you, that schools you, that makes you better. And as a side benefit, it forces you to think about what that, Point of view says, and what the meat of their argument is, or what their ammo is for their side of it or their position and and so it's it's disappointing to say the least it's not even a strong enough word that that the the academy is so poisoned, so taken over by frickin communists, that even this and these are the most serious students, even this has been ripped away and turned into brainwashing. Because I can tell you, there would have been no one on the debate team at my high school like this girl that's shrieking about trans. Nobody with that hysteria, emotional, overwrought, and certainly we would have had our our friggin' heads cut off if we had announced in a debate that we were not going to participate in the debate, our teachers would have would have murdered us before we got back to the bus. So I, I it's sad that that's what's happened. I wonder how widespread that is. It's probably pretty widespread if this is the national championship team. Charles is on the radio on KTSA. Uh, Charles, good evening.
2: Good afternoon, Mr. Jack. Can you hear me okay? Yes, sir. Uh, My question is, this just kind of broke my camel's back when I was listening to you because I've been following what's going on out in Oregon, where you you just have to show up to pass, and what's happening up in, I think it's Philadelphia now, where adding two plus two is now racist, and they're going to spend millions of dollars to create a program to make it non-racist. That's just our education system now. My mother's probably... Rolling over her grave, she was a teacher for thirty-five years in the state
0: of Texas. Yeah, Yeah. I think I I mean I think we knew the education system. Yeah, I mean I I I think we knew in general that that there was a lot of this in the classroom. I was just kind of hoping that maybe in places where I'm going to get myself in trouble saying this, Charles, but and I'll blame you because you led me into it. That that I always hoped that maybe in the in the higher points of the school system where it's you know where not everybody can get in where it's competitive where it's merit based you know not everybody can be on the debate team you gotta you gotta try out for it and and it's 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 a merit based uh slot on the team, just like you try out for the football team or the soccer team or whatever. I guess I had hoped that maybe in those places um you would ha- you would still have some semblance of of excellence. Because, yes, to your point, Charles, yes, I mean, the, in the classroom, two plus two isn't four, and we're not having grades, and we're not having honors, and we're not having valedictorians, and okay, but but maybe for kids, if you, if your kid is still in that school system, and he or she wants more out of life, and knows this is not right, that there would be pockets of activities, and after school, and extracurricular, where you could... And, and and by the way, I I I think there probably are, but I would have liked to have thought that debate was one of them. And um, I'll be curious to see if I hear from anybody. I haven't heard from anybody who has a a kid in debate, but um, is this pretty? Is is what we just played pretty widespread, or is it more of what I'm describing from the way it was, or or, or what? Because because this is really where if your kid is not hasn't fallen prey to what we talk about on an almost daily basis and what Charles was talking about, then this would be like their refuge. This would be like the the thing they could take refuge in. And unfortunately, it sounds like maybe not. Um, 210-599-5555. The other thing that that I think you see here is, and you're seeing it in the colleges too, there's this idea now that when young people um, protest that is more important than anything else. I'm not saying that you can't protest or have opinions. There were protests when I went to school. Kids walked out of school to protest the nuclear arms race because I was a kid in the 80s. Um, And maybe you Went to school in an era when kids were protesting the Gulf War or protesting the Vietnam War or whatever. I, I'm, I'm not saying you can't have protests. I'm not saying you can't, you don't have opinions. Of course you do. But the way it works is first, you're somebody's son or daughter. Then you're a student and you have these responsibilities and you have these, um, Figures of authority, and while you are a, a minor, <laughs> I hate to have to explain all this. You, you, you have to do these things. You have to meet these requirements. If you if you meet your requirements, it's like when your parents told you you can go you can go be with your friends after you do your chores. You can go be your in your protest after you do what you're supposed to do. You are on a team. You are part of a competitive sport you agreed to, to participate and play by its rules. Your protest is not more important than that. These adults, these weaklings in the schools are letting young people think that their protest is more important than their education. That is not an act of kindness, that's an act of cruelty because they're not getting the education and you're indulging them their foolishness and and it's backwards you get the education and it informs your protest it informs your opinion you might still be against or for whatever you were against or for but now you know more and i just see a lot of college uh, administrators and professors i'm i'm hot about this i'm sorry i, I can't help it i I see way too many grown ups who know better indulging this um idea that when when the youth speak that is sacred that that's nothing is more important than that. Everything must stop. Remember when we were having the b l m protests and colleges were cancelling. Final exams and tests and papers were being, you don't have to turn the paper in on time. uh, You know, it's insanity because in the real world, you'll, you'll be upset by events and you still have to do your thing. Like, you could be listening to this show right now and you could be very upset by what we're talking about or even very upset by me. I hate what he's saying. But you're also doing what you're supposed to do, whatever that is right now. That's the way life works. We're teaching them it doesn't work that way. We're teaching them that the test is canceled and the grades won't be put in and you don't have to be in school. And because you've spoken, you have an opinion. We're stopping the world. And it's fake because they don't really respect it. They're just giving into it. You know, it's easier to give into it than to say, sit your butt down. There's a time and place for what you want to say, and this is not it and you are here to learn, or you are here to engage in this competition, and that's what you're gonna do. And then after we're done, and you're on your own time, you can think what you want and and say what you want, that's fine. But sit your butt down, because this is not about you right now. There's none of that, I, I I don't know that there, I think there's people right now growing up that are never hearing those words. No one's ever told them, hey this is not about you. And it's going to shape the world we live in. And it's already, I think it's already doing it. Wanted to check in real quick with our friend Mary Gar, the CEO of Family Service Association, as we are underway with Wrapping with Jack for 2023. Mary, good to talk to you. How are you?
4: I'm doing great, Jack. Thank you so very much.
0: Um, so good to hear your voice, especially when I've just been ranting and raving uh, the, the last half hour. It's nice to hear a, a nice, calm voice. Listen, um, we were just talking, you and I, the other day about the, the unique challenges facing the families that you serve this year. In, in a nutshell, what, what is going on that makes this a a, a tough year for people?
4: Uh, you know, we still have a lot of folks that have not been able to recover from all the effects of the pandemic. Yeah. And many folks, as we know, were struggling before the pandemic, which is why we've been doing Adopt-A-Family and Wrapping with Jack for so many years. And then you add in the continuing inflation, which things just continue to cost more. And, you know, we had families who lost family members and lost jobs and became ill. And then new, you know, just new challenges and barriers keep jumping in front of them every time they try trying to stand up and get on their feet. Something else can get in the way. And We we just need that help to be able to make this difference. We've got more families this year than we've had in recent years. Right now, we're at 600 families, which when you're talking, it could be a family of two to a family of 10, depending on the size. Mm -hmm. You know, that adds up to a lot of people that need help.
0: So all those factors uh, that we're talking about uh, go into the the struggles we're all having to different degrees. But if you can help us this year with Wrapping with Jack, we urge you to go to ktsa.com right now click on the wrapping with jack button you can give right now that's the easiest most direct way to help uh your money will go a long way when family service association spends it for these families or you can buy gifts and there's uh, uh different ways to do that uh, on the wrapping with jack page all of it presented by quarter moon plumbing heating and air conditioning and family service association of san antonio and mary we We love working with you all. We appreciate the update, and uh, we will talk again real soon.
4: Jack, thank you all, and thank you to all the listeners out there who are helping to bring Christmas joy to our families.
0: Thank you, Mary. Appreciate it. And uh, since you said that, uh, that reminds me. I want to thank everybody who's already given. We've already had a number of people give, and really appreciate that. You're going to have to put up with me begging everybody else to give for the next few weeks. But if you've already done it, we appreciate it. If you're on the fence about it or you're thinking about it, wander over there and take a look at it right now at KTSA.com. So this is a little bit of what that uh, national championship debate team sounds like. Take a listen
5: the continuation of a society for future generations while ignoring violence that happens every day in spaces like this one. See, trans people know that scenario planning is planning for a future they don't have. They're too busy surviving to participate in that game. Bade in 12. Reproductive futurism, which demands that all social relationships be structured in order to allow for a possibility of the future ensures it's the sacrifice of all vital energy for the pure abstraction of the idealized continuation of society.
0: What in the actual future hell? The future she, I mean, future, what what is going on there? It's what like it's, going to be a it's like a, it's like somebody um, is having a a, a a fit and that is a, that is you are told that is the epitome of reasoning, intellect, critical thinking, persuasive speaking. <laughs> they're the champions of high school debate. Dean is on five fifty and one oh seven one KTSA. Hi Dean.
6: Hey Jack, how you doing? So I was listening to you. kids. I'm talk a little hot, these Dean. Kids. These kids are whining and they they end up ruling their world by whining. And it was really reminiscent of when Kelly Air Force Base, I knew some people that worked out there for, you know, a decade or more. And these were guys that actually worked, and they talked to me about the people that didn't work. Because most everybody out there was doing everything they could to get out of work. And one of the real common things that was being done out there to get out of work was people were going and filing grievances. And so Kelly Air Force Base, out of all the SAC bases, had more grievances filed than all the other ones put together because people learned if you were filing grievances, your boss would not mess with you and ask you to do your job because he didn't want mm-hmm. you to file a grievance on him mm-hmm. and it's it's that ruling by whining and mm-hmm. that you are know, going down that road, this country is so screwed
0: i mean i i don't if somebody wants to file a grievance there's a pl- there's a time and a place for that. But when you have agreed to participate in an, in a competitive event that is merit based, and you turn the tables, you you essentially you essentially have lied. Okay, you've 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 misrepresented and lied. I think it's way worse than filing a grievance. With all due respect, I think it's way worse than that. Um, and I also I'm not sure that this is even just that like they, they were too lazy to debate or they didn't want to do, that. no one has told them that their job, if you will, if I can use that word right now, is to is to debate. So it's not how they feel. It's not their opinion of the format or the structure or the competition itself, any more than if you're on a football field, I'll keep using that analogy. If you're on a football field, you can argue that the, that the the official missed the foul or missed the call or placed the ball in the wrong place, but you're still arguing under the aegis of the rules. You're, You're acknowledging there were rules. You're just saying, I think you got them wrong. This would be like a football player saying, I don't believe in 10 yards for a first down. I don't accept that you have to get it between the uprights for a field goal. I don't accept that the ball has to cross the goal line for a touchdown. I don't accept touchdowns I don't think touchdowns are seven points i mean this this is this is what they're doing. They're saying none of this is okay with us we've just we're ending it unilaterally I don't know how many decades there's been competitive debate. We're ending it unilaterally right now. It's over because we say so at seventeen years old and the, the, the craziest part is adults going oh, that's stunningly brave good for you wow you think deep down they're as frightened as we are and they're so frightened they're just like paralyzed by it. like oh my god what is the future going to look like alright so I have a question what do you do with leftover Halloween candy what do you do I mean, I got a lot of it. I, I over I, I didn't I didn't estimate right. I um or or there was just less trick or treating than I thought there would be. I mean I've lived in the same house for seventeen years. I, I feel like I should know by my corner by now. And I, I really, really missed the missed the mark this year for some reason. So um I know you can like bring Halloween candy to work and, like, dump it in the break room. Have you oh, ever done yeah. that?
1: <laughs>
0: right? You know what I'm talking about, Tom, right?
1: Oh, yeah. That's what I was going to say.
0: Bring it to work but and dump feel, it in the
1: break room.
0: <laughs> but then I think, well, you know, like, when I was when I was Fat Jack, I sort of loved and hated that. I I, I loved seeing it, but then I hated that somebody would do that because it was like you were sabotaging other people's diets. And so... Then I started thinking, well, like, are there places that you could donate it to? Or are there places that would, you know, I don't yes, know. Yes, it's, I'm it's to called think. the break room at work. The break room at work. Tom is lobbying hard for this. Tom, you might as well just swing by. I'll give it to you. I mean, what the heck? <laughs> okay. um, but, yeah, no, I, I, guess, I guess that's what people do generally, right? I mean, you bring it to work and you surreptitiously. It's like um people that have that grow too many zucchinis or grow too many whatever, you know, you dump those in the break room. Hey, free vegetables. So maybe I'll do that. Um if you've got another idea, 210 599 5555. Um the usual the, the the pattern usually on Halloween is in the early hours of trick or treating, it's the littlest kids. Because you want to take your little toddlers out while it's still light out and stuff, right? So, like the little ones are coming in the six o'clock hour, and then they get a little older in the seven o'clock hour, and then after like eight, it's like you know the teenagers with the pillowcases, and some of them aren't even in costume. And I've always, I've always noticed, I've heard people complain when the older kids trick or treat, like when well, they they don't even have a costume on and they're just. All they're interested in is the candy. Like it's, like it's supposed to be, like what do you want, a performance? Do you want somebody to put on a little show for you before you give them that Snickers bar? I, I have no age limits on trick-or-treating. Like you, you, you can come to my, you can be an adult. You can come to my house, you can be an adult, you can have your car keys in your hand, you can have a cigarette in the other hand, you don't have any costume on. As long as I still have Reese's Pieces, you're good to go. When I run out, I turn off the porch light, I'm done. Do you have an age I don't I don't age discriminate. I'm good with it. I it's I bought the candy, I want to give it away. I want to give 100% of it away. I'm like a government program. I don't want anything left over. I want to give it all away. And by the way, um I'll tell you something about older kids trick or treating. Yes, some of them look a little old to be doing it, but the way I look at it is kids grow up too fast as it is. So if this is a vestige of childhood that they're hanging on to, that's good. Let them be, let them be kids as long as possible. If they're if they're fifteen, sixteen, seventeen years old and they're going around, it, it, wouldn't you rather have them doing that than like ninety nine other things? So don't 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 get all bent out of shape about that. That's no problem. I think there's another trend that's kind of going on. We're getting calls about this uh, mm-hmm. about um,
2: people taking their kids to other neighborhoods instead oh, of staying yeah. within their own. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I we never did that when I was a kid. We got to go up and down the street we lived on. We couldn't even go to the next street. We only got to trick or treat on the street we lived on, and it wasn't that many houses, and that was it. I, I have had friends of mine talk about how they strategically pick out neighborhoods in, shall we say, um, you know, well-to-do parts of town. <laughs> I mean, if you're putting that much effort in, if you've done, like, demographic research on your kid's trick-or-treat route, I think you might be overthinking this a little bit, you know? Like, you should put that kind of effort into getting them into a good school or maybe, you know, honing their uh, intellect or something. Maybe working on their, you know, on their multiplication tables. Uh, People that are, like, figuring out which zip code to trick-or-treat in, that's a little... Do you think that's a little much? I think you need to stay in your neighborhood, right? Um I mean, I don't care. Again, I don't care. I, you know, there were cars parked in my neighborhood that I'm sure came in from other places. I don't, I don't care about that. Um I do kind of wish we would get that same kind of action for the garage sale. You know, I wish people would people would come around for that the way they come around for the candy. But anyway, so 210 599 55. 55, Patrick is on 550 and 1071 uh, KTSA, Jack Riccardi Show. Got a sticky button here, Patrick. I can't, uh... Don, can you engage that line? I can't push it up here. Patrick, are you there? Yes, I am. Hey, Patrick, what's up?
6: Yeah, use it as a hedge against inflation. Throw it in the freezer, save it for next year.
0: Save the Halloween candy for next year. Is this Patrick Scrooge? Is that who this is?
1: No, I'm just, you know the, the economy being the way it is, you know, no telling what is going to cost next year.
0: That's true. That's true. But I wouldn't. I, I'm not going to. I'm not going to give the kids Hershey's bars with white stuff on it for next year. So no. Thank you, Patrick, for the suggestion. I'm not doing that. No, you can't do that. That stuff doesn't hold up too good. You gotta. You gotta use it up. I'll, it's probably headed for the break room. Tom's going to get his wish. Uh, 210-599-5555, Jack Riccardi on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Um, I wanted to play this for you. This is a new movie that the trailer is running in the theaters for right now. Um, It's called American Fiction. Is that right, Don? Is that right, the name of it right? American Fiction, right? Okay. Um, <laughs> The movie's not out yet. This is the trailer. And it's getting a lot of attention because of what it appears to be about. It appears to be a movie about how white liberals in the publishing industry interact with and change the work of black authors. And it really makes kind of a bigger point if you think about it. Uh, the the gist of it is that when, uh, so it's it's satire, okay? That when a black author writes a book, these white limousine liberal editors and literary agents coach them on sounding more authentic or street. And one character even says, the dumber I sound, the more money I make. Like, we we want you to sound what we think a black voice or writer should sound like. Let me play the trailer for a movie called American Fiction, listen to this.
4: How did you come to write this book?
3: What really struck me was that too few books were about my people. Where are our stories? Where's our representation? Would you give us the pleasure of reading an excerpt? Yo, Sharonda! Girl, you be pregnant again? If I is, Ray Ray is gonna be a real father this time around. Thank you.
0: Monk, your books are good,
3: but they're not popular.
7: Editors, they want a black book. They have a black book. I'm black, and it's my book. You know what I mean Look at what they publish Look at what they expect us to write I just want to rub their nose, isn't it? <laughs> I'd be standing outside in the night Deadbeat dads, rappers, crack You said you wanted black stuff That's black, right? I see what you're doing We sold a book No we believe mr lee has written a bestseller it's a joke the most lucrative joke you've ever told
5: now is stag a pseudonym
7: yeah mr lee can't use his real name
5: is this based on your actual life
7: yeah you think some bitch-ass college boy can come up with that no 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 i don't
2: can i ask what you were in
7: for what was it murder yeah, you said that not me they ran
4: 300,000 copies. Your books change people's lives.
3: They're offering $4 million for movie
5: rights.
1: Yes! The dumber I behave, the richer I get. Really
7: like this has gone too far.
4: Stagar Lou
1: is still on the run for authorities. You haven't done anything. It's not like they can arrest you. Really like you. wish I could go back to not selling books. Is it bad to cater to
7: people's
2: tastes? People want to love you, Monk. You should let them love all of you.
7: There's already so much buzz because of the movie deal.
2: Michael B. Jordan is circling.
7: We want to put him on the cover in one of those um, uh, scarves, I guess you would call them, tied around his head.
2: A do-rag?
7: Do-rag, that's it. Do-rag in a tank top with the muscles showing. Oh, Something <laughs> called the fire department. <laughs> We're thinking we can get it out in time mm,
0: I um. I hope it's as good as the preview. I know sometimes previews are, or trailers are... It uh, so, seems like sometimes they're the they're better than the movie. So hopefully it'll be at least as good uh, as its preview. But yeah, I I I think that's a pretty cool idea. I, it, it, that's a movie that would get me into the theater. Like I would go to the theater to see that. Um, and and, and of, of course it's over the top and it's exaggerated. But I, I you know as with any satire, right? Anything you're talking Mel Brooks, you're talking uh, Monty Python, uh, more recent stuff. As with any satire, there's a kernel of truth to it. Um, I I really do think that the tastemakers, the people that are the literary agents and the publishers, they live in this very elite upper crust world. They decide what is the authentic voice of this or that culture, race, ethnic group, uh, you know, what have you. And um, there probably really is conflict where you are writing what is genuinely yours and they're like, "Well, no, this isn't the way an Italian is supposed to sound or this isn't the way a black writer is supposed to say it or uh, you know and, and, and so they're playing off of that. Anyway, looks pretty good. 210-599-55555. right, we're getting ideas for leftover candy. We're going to talk about that. Diane is on the radio. Hi, Diane. Hi. Says here that you have an idea for leftover Halloween candy.
4: Yes, I do. I was thinking what you can do if you have someone in the family that you know that's planning a birthday party or one of the kids, you can use the candy for their candy bags or even a pinata.
0: Mm, I like that idea. Never thought of a pinata. <laughs> I do too. Heck, forget about the kids, yeah. Diane. I think I want a pinata.
2: <laughs> right? There you go. Yeah.
0: Um. I wonder if there is like you know what I was thinking. I wonder if like um. You know uh, I'm thinking like maybe uh senior living centers or um rehabs or places. Like, I wonder if they have like candy bowls and you could donate it to a place also, like that.
4: You know, even a blood bank, uh, like a blood bank. Where they need oh, a yeah, little sugar sometimes you could do that and donate it to a hospital
0: or oh, there you go, yeah, because mm-hmm. i mean i i think I'd like to do that if there's somebody out there like that that would take it, I'd like to donate it to somebody that would you know that would definitely eat it right the kids the kids are getting candy, they yes. just got Halloween, right, so right. good ideas, right. Diane, yes. thank you, I like those appreciate it two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five um and yeah, let let the kids let the kids trick or treat. I mean, we didn't when I was a kid, we stopped doing that much earlier than a lot of young people do today. But I think it's all right if 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 teenagers want to go around and they're just goofing around and they get the pillowcase or the HEB bag, you know, I'm not going to stand there and go, I'm not seeing a costume here, so I'm not handing over the candy. I mean, what what, what am I a what am I a casting director? You know, show me what you've got. I mean, what I just, you know, if you if it's Halloween night and you come to the door, you know, you could be Sean Rima. If you come to the door, I'm I'm going I'm going to hand over some candy. I mean, it doesn't have to be, doesn't have to there doesn't have to be an age limit. Do we have to make everything about rules? Can we just be libertarian about this, you know? 210 599 and I mean, that's assuming that you do Halloween, not everybody does and that's cool too. I'm not saying you have to. But if you have the candy, you've got a big bowl of you know fun size candy, and you don't want it around, right? You want to have a hundred percent distribution. I wouldn't worry about how old the kids are. I think that's I think that's uh, I think we have bigger fish to fry these days. Um, Andrew is on the radio with an idea for leftover Halloween candy. Hello, Andrew.
6: Hi, Jack. Hey, uh, there's a wonderful, wonderful charity right here in headquartered here in San Antonio, but they operate worldwide called soldiers angels and they're on facebook they're on linkedin they're all over the web you can find them at soldiersangels.org and they collect one of the many things that they do is they collect leftover halloween candy and send it all over the world to our troops stationed oh. around the world
0: oh, and that they'll, sounds they'll
6: do this for free so soldiers if you got halloween angels. candy we've spent org, I
0: believe. Dot org. Soldiers Angels. I hope this,
6: I'm getting that right. Yeah, but they're on they're on Facebook if you're on Facebook. They're on LinkedIn if you're on LinkedIn. Uh they do a million other things for veterans and for uh, homeless folks in, in the community. But one of the big drives that they have every year is uh, to collect holiday candy, so not just Halloween, but even right. you know, Valentine's Day candy. Right. package it up, and send it to our service members around the world.
0: Very good. That's a great idea. I will look into that. Thank you for that, Andrew. I'm glad you let the, get the word out about that and let everybody know about it, soldiersangels.org. Uh, Jesse is on the Jack Riccardi Show. Hi, Jesse.
2: Hey, Jack. Uh, I just wanted to tell you, why don't you take it to rapping with Jack? And also, I just contributed to, your, to that, and I just want oh, thank all you. the – uh, all the active and retired San Antonio firemen and surrounding areas to contribute to it. Also, it's a good cause, and I'm the one that's always called in for Williams Cafe over there on Tupperwine. But anyway oh, you yeah. just say
0: very nice. Thank you, Jesse. Good to hear from you, sir. You have a good night. Uh, bring it to wrapping with Jack. I'd think of that. Wow, I could, I could, uh, I could score points with that. The problem with that would be. See Don Cooper, the problem with that would be wrapping with Jack isn't until December sixth. Yeah, and you one know, of the prospects of that candy still being around by December sixth, if I keep it in the house, not good. Well, not not only that, you, you you would have to meticulously rewrap the candy to make it look like holiday candy instead of oh, ha- I didn't, Halloween yeah, candy, I wasn't thinking see? of that. Mm-hmm. I, I was, uh, I was just thinking. I don't think it would. Uh, I, it needs to be away from me at the earliest possible convenience so we we don't have a time is of the essence here is what i'm saying and i'm not even you know what it's weird because i i don't have a sweet tooth and i really am not like i never buy candy the rest of the year i don't think about it but then you have it in the house and i'm like cookie monster it's, I, I don't, I, that's very strange. It's, somebody should study that. That's very strange. Because uh, it's not a thing you, you know, if it, if it was like something you craved all the time, then yes. But I really don't. It's the only time of year there's candy around, and and there can't be candy around. We can't have that. Roy is on the radio. Roy's going to solve this for us. Hello, Roy.
6: Hey, Jack. How about uh, the police and sheriff's department crisis centers that deal with kids? Oh,
0: they can have okay.
6: car and help Break the ice with these kids. Fire department, the same thing.
0: Oh, okay. So would you yeah. would you think if I called like the main uh, number, non emergency number, they would probably know where that is or where to bring it?
6: Yep, I would think so.
0: That's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. These are great ideas, Roy. Thank you for that. That's a, that's a terrific idea. The, the soldiers angels idea is a good idea. Wrapping with Jack is a good idea if we make it that long. Or if I'm not if I'm not um, a diabetic by then. <laughs> I mean, I was like, what happened to Jack? Look at him. Uh, 210-599-5555. Oh, I'm going to play you, um, we have time for this. We're going to make time for it. Kaylee McEnany on Fox interviewed Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House. And I like her, uh, a lot. I thought this was interesting, um, this is her setting up the interview, cut number 10.
4: Didn't take them long, the liberal media now launching their first j- jabs at the newly minted House Speaker, Mike Johnson. But many of those attacks appear to center on his Christian faith. They are particularly perturbed by that. Just listen to this shocking comparison from Bill Maher.
1: When I was reading about this horrible shooting in Maine. Yeah. Uh, and, I heard, you know, we don't know much about the guy yet, but apparently he heard voices. And I thought, is he that different than Mike Johnson? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, degree, yes, but it's thinner than you think.
4: Unbelievable. Now, you'd expect that from Bill Maher, but it's a little more surprising when the former White House press secretary, Jen Psaki, says this.
5: The Bible doesn't just inform his worldview, it is his worldview. In fact, during his first speech in his new job, Johnson suggested that his election as speaker was an act of God. Talk about a bit of a humble brag there. His views on policy are essentially what you'd expect from a religious fundamentalist. They're more divisive than they are divine.
0: You know, I'm not, uh, not going to react to this by getting all defensive. As a Christian, I could. Um, but when I was listening to this, and I have I have noticed the same thing, Kelly McEnany noticed that the almost the entirety of the coverage of Mike Johnson is O M G, he's a Christian, and he's open about it. If Mike Johnson was a gay man and he was open about it stunningly brave right if mike johnson was confessing to let's say some vulnerability he was a recovering alcoholic or he was uh somebody that had been through a traumatic um you know childhood or something again the the general reaction would be positive we 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 laud we celebrate the fact that a person is sharing with us uh an experience that shaped them that they they got through so what i find interesting about the 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 reaction to mike johnson as a as a christian is that they seem afraid of it they seem it's like they're describing something that is very scary to them now i don't i don't need everyone to be christian I don't need everyone to agree with what I believe in or what he believes in. But it is weird to see people that are supposedly educated and erudite be so be so terrified. And that's the only word I can come up with. They look like it worries them or scares them that he's Christian. I don't know about you, but if you know anything about what Christians believe, even if you aren't one, you would think, well, good, we need people that believe it's wrong to steal in, in politics, in public life. We need people who believe in loving thy neighbor. We need people who don't believe, who believe in something bigger than themselves because one of the things that plagues our politics is that politicians act like they are kings and queens and gods and goddesses and nothing is bigger than them and their wants. So are these people that don't really understand Christianity? And why don't they? Like how could you be a grown-up person with a college degree and not understand that? Or are they people that do understand it? Is what worries them or makes them feel weird the fact that Mike Johnson is is, is laying down markers? He's telling you where he stands. I'm not, a, I'm not really offended. I'm, I'm over being offended by stuff like this. There's been way too much of it for too long. But I think it's very telling that they're like running for the hills because the guy's telling them he's a Christian. This is a little of what he said about that in the interview, cut number 11.
7: Um, I'm not surprised by that. I mean, it comes with the territory. It doesn't bother me at all. I just wish they would get to know me. Um, I'm not trying to establish uh, Christianity as the national religion or something. That's not what this is about at all. If you truly believe in the Bible's commands and you you seek to follow those, it's impossible to be a hateful person because the greatest command in the Bible is that you love God with everything you have
0: and you love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. Sounds like we really have a lot to be worried about there.
2: Caught in a quicksand, and I'm starting to sing. I need someone to help me, but I don't know which way to turn. I know I don't have much of a choice. I'll go out of my mind. Far into the night.
0: So we've, uh, we've covered a lot of ground um, just this hour um. Halloween candy and Christianity. I... <laughs> a few other things in between. Um so I want to throw this in cuz I thought this was kind of funny. Um you know how when they board a plane they uh, most airlines now have like boarding groups. I mean first they board the first class and the people that are in their you know platinum program or vip elite traveler program or whatever they have all those things they they do um i saw a hilarious um comedy sketch one time you know the you know the comedy guys key and peel don have you ever seen them that's not familiar no key and peel yeah google them they do some hilarious stuff they did a whole sketch one time about all the different groups that get called this guy's waiting to get on the plane and literally every single other person in the terminal gets to board before him. You know, they're boarding first class and they're boarding seniors and they're boarding people with children and they're boarding the military and then they're boarding uh, military with children and then seniors with military children and then it goes on and on like this. So anyway, people get very exercised and if you're in the, the boarding process you'll see people getting very antsy about when they can get on the plane. Um and, and and if you've ever watched the dynamic, somebody should do a study of this because it's fascinating. People start edging toward the gate and like chomping at the bit. There's this all this body language and and sort of sweat and, and nervousness about well, when can I get on? Well, is it my job? Can I get on what? and and in the end, we're all getting on. Right? We're all getting on. And That plane has taken all of us to that other city. I've never really completely understood the the fixation with, I mean, it's nice to get on early because you can get a bin and they should have more bins and people should not have as much carry-on as they do. That's that's really a problem the airlines have made for themselves. There wouldn't be a bin shortage if they didn't let people take steamer trunks on as carry-on. But anyway, United Airlines, has come up with a new rule or a new plan that they thought would make things better and instead it's made people even more irate. And I don't know if this is gonna catch on and other airlines are gonna do it or not, but to try to minimize the boarding time, United is now saying um, the window seat people get on first, The middle seat people get on second, and the aisle seat people get on last. The abbreviation for this system is Wilma, window, middle, aisle. They're testing it out on some of their routes, on some of their flights now. They're still letting families and couples board together. It's only applying to the economy class passengers, so the first class people still get on first, and all that stuff. People with the whatever United's, I don't know what United's VIP program is, because I'm not in it, but um, you know those people get the priority boarding, and then the first class people and stuff. But the idea is that if you put the window people in first, they're out of the way, and you're not having people having to get up and let people sit down and stuff like that. Well, people are furious. People are hating it. Because when you're the last to board, you might not get a bin. And I noticed it because I'm an aisle seat guy. I always try to get an aisle seat if there's any way to do it, I do it. And so if I and I don't fly United, but if I did, then I would always be getting on last. What do you think of that? Um, I mean, it sounds like it makes sense, even though it wouldn't be great for me. People like me, but I mean, it, it sounds like it makes sense. And yet, um, people hate it. I, I will say, people just in general, uh, and the airlines have done this to themselves, to fly these days is to already not be in your best frame of mind. Like, people are, they've already mistreated people so badly. And frankly, I think even mistreated their own employees so badly. That the whole experience from the crew to the passengers is just kind of a collection of unhappy uh, campers. But um, I don't know. We'll see if it catches on or if it works. I, I like the idea,
2: Jack, because I think it eliminates yeah. some of the frustration that uh, people have once they board the plane because you have some people that are not assigned to a window seat but they end yes. up sitting in someone's seat, and then they have to move, and that ticks them off, and now
0: they're upset. And Well, like, when I know. get on, yeah, when I get on, I'm an aisle seat guy, but I know that there are people that are going to get in my row, so I just don't put my seatbelt on, and I don't unpack my stuff and start reading or whatever. I, I, I wait until my row mates are in there with me, uh, because I know that they will have, and I'll have to stand up and let them in. So I guess they're trying to skip that stuff, like mm-hmm. you're saying, but... Mm-hmm. Um, If I ran an airline, I would just start actually enforcing the carry-on size thing. Because what's really slowing us down is people getting on planes with humongous suitcases that were not meant to be carry-on, they're huge. You know, I'm checking a bag that's not much bigger than the bag people (laughs) are carrying on the plane. And then it doesn't fit in the bin, or it barely does, and they're lugging it down the aisle and they're banging into people and then they can't lift it and then somebody has to come lift it and then it doesn't fit and then they got to turn it around and mm-hmm. make it fit mm-hmm. that's what's holding us up yes they have that little they have that little size guide if they just enforced their own rule and back in the day people used to take very small you know airline bags that was your carry on it was like man or woman it was like a big purse that's all you need I looked up uh, Key and Pill, and I do have a sample of uh, boarding a plane. shouldn't be this hard if you want to listen to it. Oh, do you have that uh-huh. bit? Uh-huh. Yeah, this is a funny bit. Take a listen to this. Boarding group one. I'm in boarding group one. Excuse me. I'm in boarding group one. And
7: we would like to begin pre-boarding with our first-class passengers. First-class passengers only, please. Next, our business-class passengers may now board. Okay, now we would like to welcome our Regal Alliance Elite members. (laughs) Regal Alliance Elite members. Okay, now all passengers with children. Anyone with small children, you may board now. Okay, we would like to continue boarding with uniformed military personnel.
1: What? Why could... this is... Thank you for your service. Thank you so much for your service. God bless you. Thank you for your service. (laughs)
7: Thank you for your service. All right, people in wheelchairs. Any priests, nuns, rabbis, imams?
1: What? Why do they get special treatment?
7: as alaikum. I've never...
0: The it's nun simple. runs into him.
7: Any old people in wheelchairs with babies? <laughs> Any old religious people with military babies? <laughs> What's a military... Jason Schwartzman.
0: Just, just <laughs> randomly, now he gets to get on board. This is hilarious.
7: Anyone with a blue suitcase, you may now board. Fine. Oh, there you go. No, not you, sir.
1: Not me. This is a, a blue suitcase.
7: That's a blue computer bag.
1: So you're not, you're not going to let me on then?
7: <laughs>
0: He's sipping his coffee. He's the last guy left in the terminal.
7: Anyone who doesn't seem cranky. Mmm. Drunk people. You will now be boarding any drunk people. This guy's
0: just falling down. Just can't even stand up.
1: <laughs> All right. it's, nope, it's my bag, sir. It's just, ah. <laughs>
0: The video's even funnier. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. Anyway, eventually he gets on on the plane. But uh, yeah, United Airlines, gonna try Wilma. We'll see what happens with Wilma. On the JR poll, River City Oral Surgery, JR poll, do you support banning menthol cigarettes? The Biden administration is gonna do that. And um, 89% said no, 11% said yes. So the 89% are now going to go fire up a cool. Was that the brand, Don? Cool? That was menthol, right? Cool cigarettes. Wasn't Salem also a menthol brand? I think it was. I used to know all about cigarettes because I sold them when I worked in my first job at a, a little neighborhood <laughs> drugstore. I you're never at, smoked a cigarette in my life. You're, but you're I asking a, a non-smoker them, so. as well. Yeah, so. yeah, see, me too. I don't know. Used to know all that stuff. Useless information. Useless information. Back here live tomorrow at four or look for the Jack Riccardi show as a podcast at KTSA.com or wherever you like to get your podcasts.